man, hello spring. It's going to be a wonderful day today. I'm so excited that you're here. My name's Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. Whether you are visiting with us for the very first time, whether you are a lifelong sea roader or new to sea road, we're so glad and thankful, whether you're here in person or online, that you are connected with us. We are beginning to wind up a series this week and next week that took us through the Easter season that we've called Life Forward, because we believe that the Easter season is not only the game-changing season that we celebrate annually, but one that can make an impact in every single moment and in every single circumstance that you and I face in our lives on a daily basis. And so today we're going to continue that by digging into this theme of being on the road. And as the weather changes, I'm actually reminded of one of my favorite memories growing up, doing road trips. Anybody ever been on a road trip before? Okay, we're going to have a little bit of fun. How many of you have ever been on a road trip more than 20 hours? Let me see them hands. Anybody? 30. 30 hours. All right. 40. 40 hours. 50 hours. 60. Okay, somebody's just keeping their hand up. The whole, that's amazing to be on the road that long. I was struck by this moment in time and memory that I remember of one of my favorite road trips we were a bunch of high school age students and our youth pastor thought it would be awesome to take us on this international excursion from Calgary to Northern California. And so we were in a, a big 15 passenger van driving all that way and there was no air conditioning. And it was July. I had sweat in places I don't even want to think about. But road trips are so much fun because they, they have all these different memories associated, mostly positive, sometimes not so much. Like if you get sick along the way, it's not so much fun to be the person that puked in the van or anything like that. That's not fun, but so much of our lives happen along the way. We spend a ton of time planning different things like a birthday celebration or family gathering or a job change or moving a home. But so much more happens in between those spaces, in those gaps along the way or on the road that is significant for us to understand and to be involved in and to be present even in those in-between moments. We're going to take a look at a little bit of a story right after the death and resurrection of Jesus that talks about being on the road. And so if you've got a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Luke. We're going to be focusing on chapter 24, starting in verse 13 and reading all the way through, including verse 33, 34, I believe. So a big chunk of text. If you don't have a Bible, come see me or one of our staff after the service. We want to gift one to you today as our gift to you because we believe it is the most important thing that you could be digesting in your world and in your life today. So starting in verse 13 from chapter 24, let's, let's uh, focus on this story together. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along there, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Clopas, 
uh, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. Well, what things? Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did wonderful, who did powerful miracles. And he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death. And they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning. And they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing And they had seen angels who told them that Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. And Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting late. So he went home with them and they sat down to eat. He took bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to him. Suddenly, their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, the Lord really has risen. He appeared to Peter. Interesting road trip story. A couple of things that we need to be aware of as we dig in a little bit further to what this is saying. Some of us might read that word Emmaus and not know how to pronounce it. And I'll be honest, sometimes I get confused in how to pronounce different things from the Bible. The town Emmaus isn't super significant other than the only way that it had access or connection to Jerusalem was on one single road. There's one path to get there. And the word Emmaus it actually is a derivative of of kind of a mix of Hebrew and Greek. And so it was kind of this town that nobody really cared about, but just kind of bubbled up over time and somehow got included in the Bible as terms of location and a place of somewhat of significance since there was Jesus meeting people as they walked there. But outside of that, it was like not really known for anything. It literally means hot spring, hot spring. So probably probably associated with water, not just weather-wise. It kind of reminds me of the town I grew up in, in rural Saskatchewan. We called it Springside because it was beside a spring, except that spring was under the ground. And they just shortened the name instead of under the ground Springside to Springside, right? So we do that all the time. We pick up bits and pieces of other languages and we morph them into our own language, like poutine or putin. How do you even say it? Which, what's, what's the proper term? See, we don't, we can't even agree. We can't even agree. Poutine, poutine. It's just gravy and fries and cheese curds, and it's amazing. (laughs) 
So much of life happens along the way. And I got I to gotta believe that these two individuals that were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus did not expect to run into Jesus. They didn't expect to have this monumental conversation that kind of right-sized all of their expectations and everything that they were going through in that moment. Because I happen to believe that these two individuals were actually walking through a season of grief. Their leader, a person they looked up to, was no longer with them. And you, you hear the, the text tells us that very clearly at the beginning. They're, they're overcome with sadness. They don't know what happened. They thought he was the Messiah, and yet they haven't yet figured it out that he is who he says he is, and he's walking right beside them. So I want to press pause there, and I want to talk a little bit more about grief, because whether we like it or not, grief is a part of life. And if we look at the last two plus years from a macro perspective, we've had to grieve a lot of different things. See, grief doesn't just bubble up in our lives when we lose loved ones that we care about. Although that's a tragic form of grief, and I know that some of you have been walking through that during this pandemic season, and it's, it's hard. It's lonely at times. It's isolating at times. But grief also bubbles up when there's any sort of change that we have to deal with. We grieve what was and what is to come. There's a change. There's a shift. We grieve the loss of what is familiar. It's really important for us to be aware of that because sometimes, believe it or not, here in our cultural society of North America and specifically Canada, we blaze past seasons of grief because we don't want to or don't know how to navigate our way through it. We're taught to be self-sustaining, self-sufficient. We're taught to be strong, unshakable, unmovable. We're taught to weather all the storms that come our way. And when it comes to grief, sometimes it's a storm that we just ignore. We put to the side and we don't know how to deal with it. And I got to believe that these two individuals that were walking along this road, that was the season that they were in, not knowing and fully comprehending what was happening. So here's some of the things that a season of grief does to us that we need to be aware of. Sometimes a season of grief does not allow us to see what's right in front of us. Sometimes a season or a moment of grief does not allow us to see what's right in front of us. Now, in this story, we see that God kept Jesus' identity hidden from these two individuals. But I got to believe that they were listening super intently to what he had to say. There would be some cues, some language that was familiar to them, some mannerisms even that were familiar to them, that they maybe could have recognized what was happening right in front of them. And sometimes in a season of grief, we don't, we don't see what's right in front of us because we are so caught up in our own challenges. Let me illustrate this through an example, a work-related example. Sometimes when we get a demotion at work, all we can think about is what we are no longer qualified to do. It's hard for us to look at our demotion as a gift. So sometimes what happens in a demotion type scenario, instead of working 70 plus hour work weeks, we work a regular 40 hour work week 
that doesn't have shift work associated to it. And now we can have a life outside of work. But all we can think about is the fact that our value and our significance was diminished in some way because we were no longer doing what we were doing previously. And sometimes when we grieve, when we're honest, we can't see what's right in front of us. It gets harder and more challenging when that grief is associated with the loss of a loved one. Now, I'm not going to advocate that we blaze past our grief and our feelings. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But sometimes in those moments where we are wrestling with loss, it is very difficult for us to see what's right in front of us. Somebody could show up at our house with some food and we can't see it or we can't receive it because we don't yet know how to process what we're feeling in the moment. Somebody could bubble up in our world, a new friendship emerge in our season of grief, and we don't know how to navigate the reality of that emerging relationship because we can't process or see what's right in front of us. And we just have to be honest when we're in grief that sometimes our vision is affected. That's an okay thing. There's nothing wrong when we get distracted or we can't see what's right in front of us. We just have to be aware of that. I've said this to you before, but I've got this crazy thing with my eyes called astigmatism. That means part of my eye is shaped like a football, which meant, probably meant I should have been a quarterback, except I'm, I'm like Doug Flutie height and stuff. And so what happens is without these corrective lenses, like I can't see as clearly. Like I see you, but you're, a, you're like a, a blur. I can't point you out individually but I know that you're there. But the moment that I put my glasses on, it's like everything comes into focus. And in a season of grief, when we're having a hard time recognizing what's right in front of us, Jesus can help us see clearly the challenges that we're facing, the unanswered questions that we haven't yet given ourselves permission to ask, the thoughts, the feelings, and the emotions that are bubbling up inside of us. And, and at times, at times, he can give us language to express what we're going through and experiencing in the moment. It's okay. It's okay if we can't see clearly when we're grieving. We just need to be aware of that reality. And the fact that we might need a little bit of help to help us see clearly once again. There's another thing that happens when we walk through a season of grief. We get stirred on an emotional level. And sometimes we're afraid of those emotions. Because there's a, a deep intensity associated with some of these emotions. Like you think back to that workplace example and you get demoted. Walk through that scenario in your mind. Tomorrow you walk into your boss's office on a special meeting. And he says to you, hey, thanks so much for the last 20 plus years. We're going in a different direction. You still have a job here, but it's going to be a lesser capacity role. And yes, it may even impact your salary. It's not great news to hear. And you might be flooded with all sorts of different emotions that then bubble up out of your mouth. Right? Right? Well, let me tell you something, boss of mine. I've been keeping quiet for 20 years. 
Oh, I no longer have a job here. Okay, cool. The intensity of our emotions isn't something to be afraid of. But the outlet of our, emo our emotions is something we need to be aware of. Previous to coming and pastoring here in Brockville, which my family thoroughly, thoroughly loves and enjoys this region and this space and you as a community, we were in central Alberta. Central Alberta is like literally the middle of Alberta. That's why they call it central Alberta. We were in a city called Red Deer, and Red Deer is known for a lot of different things. No, the deer aren't red. One of the most unfortunate things that it was known for is one of the highest domestic violence rates in all of Canada. See, sometimes when we go through a season of grief, we have intense emotions, and we need to be aware of what our outlets are for those emotions. It is not okay, and it is not appropriate to inflict physical harm or abuse emotionally, spiritually, sexually on another individual. It is not okay, ever. It is never okay for that. What is okay is being aware of your emotions. And if you have this intense anger and rage bubbling up inside of you, it's okay to reach out for help to put your hand up and say, I, I'm afraid of what I'm going to do because I don't know how to handle this. You see, if we need surgery, we go to a surgeon because they've been trained to deal with what, we, what ails us in that moment. When we are bunged up emotionally, when we're constipated emotionally, we got to go see a counselor a psychotherapist, somebody that can help us process. That's a, that's a laxative that we need emotionally. It helps us navigate through. And, and let's, let's remove the stigma of, of, of getting therapy and counseling. That's taking care of yourself. Neglecting that part of us? Come on, that's just stupidity. That's like Jamie saying to me, hey, I got this torn bicep and I need surgery. Do you think you can do this in my kitchen? <laughs> no, I'm not a trained surgeon. I can't do that. I'm not a trained psychotherapist. I'm not a trained counselor. I'm a pastor. I can give you spiritual coaching. I can pray with you. I can listen to Jesus alongside of you. But there might be times where you and I need to go see someone who is skilled in therapy. Now, these two individuals in our story, maybe they didn't have that sort of intensity around their emotions. Maybe it all clicked together for them. And there's, that's going to happen. There's going to be times in our lives where it just, it happens. We, we learn habits and patterns and behaviors that are positive and we can work through an emotionally challenged, challenging situation without the need for professional assistance. But there will be times where the reverse is true. And if we don't deal with it, we're going to be stuck in that space. Not seeing what we can't see and being moved on an emotional level to do things that are outside of our character and our desire and our values. 
It's okay to not be okay, but it is not okay to stay there. So sometimes grief has a challenge associated with what we see. Sometimes there's an emotional reality and it's okay to go through our emotions. We just, we have to be honest. We got to label them. I've seen a counselor. I'm proud of that. I'm thankful for it. My brother-in-law, Clint, was killed at work. I know how to handle that. So I saw somebody who helped me get, uh, have a language that, that would process what I was feeling and experiencing in that moment. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay there. Think back to our story here. These two individuals, they're walking alongside with this other third individual who we know as Jesus. And they're having this conversation and they're being challenged. And this individual is speaking truth into their lives. And it's the truth that finally sets them free. They invite him to stay with them a little bit longer. They go and have a dinner meal together and then Jesus has what we do, what we call communion with them, breaks bread, shares it. And it's in that moment they recognize who's been with them the whole way. See, that's the other part of grief that's really cool, is that you are never alone despite what you might feel in that moment. Jesus is always with you every step of the way even if you don't yet recognize his presence or can't see where he's at work, he's still present with you in that moment. So there's two questions that I want to leave you with that are important for us to take into those seasons and moments of grief that we work through, keeping in mind that grief is not just losing someone, it's, it's seeing something change around us or even through us. We've got to grieve that loss. The first question is this, who is with me? When you're walking on the road, on your road trip, and change happens that you hadn't planned for, and you start grieving, who is with you? It's really important to know who's right around you and who's willing to walk with you because the quality of people surrounding you in that season of desperation will directly impact your health journey through that situation. Have you ever gotten bad advice before? I have from people who know Jesus and people who don't know Jesus. One of the phrases I remember a lot from my hockey coach as a young lad, when I would take a blocked shot and it would sting he would turn around and say to me, suck it up, princess. And I was like, who are you talking to? I'm a prince, man. And the craziest thing around that, let me tell you this funny story. It just came to mind. So I was uh, in a small town. And uh, in a small town, you are desperate to have enough people to form a team in every age group. And so sometimes your team would play before another age group team and you were allowed to jump up in age 
And so sometimes the coach of that team would come into your dressing room at the end of your game and look for players because they didn't have enough to play their game. So I got called up for one of these games playing forward. And I remember it was Bantam and they just started doing slap shots. And so some of the farm kids figured out how to do slap shots really well. And others were still learning how to stay standing on the ice. And I remember playing that game and there's this guy, this guy at the point winding up to do a slap shot. And I did what I did in ball hockey. I had all my equipment on. Instead of taking it straight on, I turned around and I took it in my calf and I skated to the bench and my coach said, suck it up, princess. Next time you go to block that shot, just stay here. It'll hit your pads and you'll be good. So... You know, had the athletic therapist rubbing my leg and I don't know if they put A535 on it or whatever. Go out a couple shifts later, this same guy is on the ice, on my side of the ice, winding up for a slap shot. I'm going out to block the shot because, you know, don't want to turn around again. My coach told me, take it head on. Somehow that shot found a gap. It found a gap and it hit me in the leg. And I went skating back to the bench and the coach looked at me and said, nothing I can do about that one. I don't know. <laughs> Who is with you is important. Who is with you is important. I remember that coach, but that coach was not helpful. <laughs> when we're walking alongside of people who are grieving, we need to be just like Jesus in those spaces, which oftentimes means learning to keep our mouths closed and our hearts and our hands open. And there will be a time where we have to allow our, our verbal communication to support our nonverbal communication. But it is more important that people know that we are with them along their grief journey than coming in and saying, well, you should have quit 10 years ago anyway. You were so much better than that. Just be present in the moment. Don't miss what's happening because life transformation is taking place. So who's with you is really important. It's really important to have the right people alongside you. That's why we here at Sea Road, you hear us talk consistently about investing in the lives of people and having people invest in your life and, and pursuing community, whether that's in a group format or some other expression. This is why. Grief is going to happen a lot in our lives and how we navigate through it. How we navigate through it will impact our own health and well-being and the well-being of those that we care about. You want to be, and I hope that you want to be that kind of person that people want to be around when they are struggling because you are there to support and care and listen and help love them forward alongside of Jesus. The second question alongside of who is with me is, is, this, is why does it matter? Why does it matter? Why does it matter if I do grief well? Why does it matter if I'm aware of what I'm going through? Why does it even matter? 
For those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, the way we navigate through grief speaks to whether or not our faith is actually relevant in our world today. If we neglect our souls and our well-being, why would anybody who's wrestling with any sort of challenge in their life look to Jesus for anything? If they don't see in us a willingness to bring everything to Jesus in those moments. And the other reality is, is we can look for all these different answers to what we're experiencing in various different ways and forms, but outside of Jesus providing healing for our journey and along the way, anything that we go to and run to will only be temporary. Whether we like it or not, we are all addicts. In some way, shape, or form, every single one of us, and I know that's a word that we usually reserve for somebody that's uh, uh, struggling with substance abuse of some kind, but you and I, were addicts. We want something new and fresh. We want something different. And because of that, we're always running to certain things. And my staff team here, they, they hear me bug them a little bit throughout the weeks talking about their coffee addiction. See, I'm not a coffee drinker. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I'm not a coffee drinker. And so I don't have an impulse that dictates to me to line up in line for a warm drink. I don't have that. I don't have a budget line in my budget that says this much is earmarked for Starbucks or Tim Hortons or Folgers or whatever else is out there. I don't even know. I'm not motivated. I don't have a coffee subscription, okay? Some of you do. Some of you have a coffee subscription where you have these drugs dropped off at your house. But the thing is, is once you have one cup of coffee, you're good for that day. But then you wake up the next day and you want another. See, the truth is, is we're all addicts. So whatever we want to, we're always going to be consuming and wanting more of. But we will only ever be satiated when we run to Jesus. Because he is more than enough. He is more than enough. You have, you have one cup of what he offers and you're not only grateful and thankful, but you definitely want more. So maybe you're walking through a season of grief or change right now and hopefully this is helpful and inspiring to you in some way. But there will be many other moments where you are doing life along the road and you need to be mindful and aware of who's with you. Who is with you in those spaces? Because that group of people or that individual will directly impact your ability to pursue health. Imagine if these two individuals were talking to anybody else but Jesus. It's only because they were having this conversation with the Messiah that they were able to recognize the moment for what it was eventually move through it, be inspired so much that they would travel back that same journey to Jerusalem to share the good news and hope of what had just happened in their lives. Friends, if you're looking for any sort of motivation to carry you forward in this season of life, look no further 
than the person of Jesus. He will meet every need. He will answer every question, not in your time, but in his time. In his time. We're gonna go to a time of prayer and I just have a sense and a feeling that there are some heavy hearts and burdens that you all are carrying. And maybe that's at a personal level, but that could be also on behalf of someone else. And if that's you, what I'm gonna ask you to do is I'm, ask, I'm gonna ask you to take a posture of kneeling. Typically, we, we wanna stand up. But I'm gonna invite you to kneel. And if you're like, man, I don't know how I'm gonna kneel here on this floor. Well, you can come forward and kneel here somewhere on this space. There's less people that have walked on this carpet, so it's a lot more comfortable than some of the carpet like at the back. But I'm gonna invite you to kneel. Not because I need some physical demonstration that God is moving in this place, but it's a sign that you can offer Jesus in this moment of your need and desperation to meet you right where you are on your road to recovery, on your road to health, on your road to life forward. So as we pray, if that's you, I encourage you if you are physically able to take that posture of healing, I'm gonna pray specifically for you. Would you join me as we pray? Father, change is hard. Change is hard and it's difficult. It's even more hard and more difficult when it's something that is seemingly forced upon us. When it's something that we don't readily choose to walk through. And grief is this catch-all word that is so wrapped up in so many different things. Jesus, I have a sense that there are those of us in this room today and online that are walking through various expressions of grief. Some of us have physically lost people that we care about. Whether that means they're no longer here with us on earth or whether that relationship has been fractured and torn apart for whatever reason. And God, it's in those challenging spaces that we need you to bring wholeness and healing. Give us the discipline to not fast forward through that moment, but instead be fully present in that environment and in that space so that we don't miss what's right in front of us. And so that we don't bottle up these emotions that create harmful behaviors short-term and long-term in our lives if they go unchecked. Father, I know that others of us are wrestling with grief in a different way. It's a change of some sort. Changing the way that we do church or changing the way that we do life with people or trying to figure out what what next layer of response we have personally to what our world is facing in terms of health-related challenges. And for some of us, that's just it. It's a health-related challenge 
something that impacts our quality of life that we never planned for or expected, but now we're walking through. So for those of us in those spaces, Jesus, I ask that you would do exactly what you did in this story alongside of these individuals. Remind us, remind us of what is true. Remind us that even when it feels like we're alone, nobody understands, we're isolated, we're confused, that that's simply not true. You are present with us, offering hope and life and joy, passion and presence, and a way forward even through the most challenging of emotionally wrapped up situations. So Father, we just ask that you would move. May today be a day that just is a springboard for us into these other environments and spaces that we happen to orbit. And Jesus, if there's anyone here today online or in person who does not yet know you, may the loving kindness of your presence and your voice draw them into relationship with you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.